the Holy Gospel according to John, the 21st chapter. After Jesus appeared to his followers in Jerusalem, he showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to him, <clears throat> Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish here that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred fifty-three of them, and though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to, to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to Jesus, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After this, Jesus said to him, follow me. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. So we have here in John chapter 21, the third time that Jesus has appeared to the disciples. And I think there's a, there's a, there are actually a number of things that I find really interesting about this, but I promised Seth that I'd only go about 40 minutes, and so I'll keep it short. Okay, maybe not 40 minutes. But, but there really are a number of things about this particular text that are really interesting. One of my favorite ones that kind of makes the middle schooler in me giggle is that when Jesus or when Peter is in the boat and he sees Jesus on the shore and he he realizes it's the Lord, Peter then puts on clothes because he was naked. And it's always been such a weird image to me that Peter was fishing naked and that was fine, but to go swimming he had to put something on. You know, and I I wonder I wonder about 
that in our lives, how often we kind of go about our daily business and we don't really think much about what we look like and what we're really up to until someone who's important to us comes and reminds us that we have some work to do. I think one of the reasons that Jesus put on his, or that Peter put on his clothes is he realized whenever you see Jesus, if you weren't busy, you're about to be busy, right? When you see Jesus, whatever you're doing, you're about to be doing something different because Jesus always calls us into action. He realized when he saw Jesus that just sitting around fishing wasn't going to be what he was doing at the end of the day, so he'd better be ready, right? And it reminds me that there are certain times in my life where I really think hard about what I'm wearing. When, I, when I'm getting ready to go out with my wife, I always make sure that I put on a little bit nicer shirt than what I was wearing before because it's important to me that I look good for her, right? When I get ready to preach or go to the hospital or go do something official, I put on the funny collar because not so much it's a reminder to me, but because it, it reminds people what I'm there for. It reminds people that not that they're in the presence of someone holy, but they're in the presence of God who is always with us that we're reminded of in those times in our lives when we need a pastor, those times in our lives where, where our friends or our family are sick or dying, those times in our lives when we need to hear those words of comfort spoken to us, those times in our lives when we need to, be, we need to remember that we are a part of something that's bigger than us We're a part of a family where water is thicker than blood. We're a part of a family that is represented not just by the collar that pastors wear, but that's represented by the people who are gathered around us, who share with us our good times and our bad times, our joys and our sorrows. You know, there are times in our lives where we realize that we really need to be dressed for the occasion. Another thing that that becomes really important is... uh, we, we see Peter gathered on the beach with Jesus. Peter, who had just denied Jesus three times, and really not just denied Jesus, but denied his very discipleship. He denied not just that he knew Jesus, but he denied that he was a follower of Jesus. Peter was probably someone who still felt that break in the relationship. And even though he had seen Jesus twice before, and even though Jesus had pronounced upon them peace like we heard last week, and even though Jesus had given them the Holy Spirit, there's something that compels Peter, as soon as he hears that it's Jesus, to put on clothes and jump in the water and swim to the shore because he needs to see Jesus. There, there are times in our lives where you know, we, we break a relationship or where we do something that we realize is pretty dumb at the moment, and we have this yearning, this desire, this longing to do something to fix it. You know, a, what was serious at the time but now feels like kind of a small example is I remember when I was getting ready to get my driver's license, Dad, and you all know Dad, Dad could be convincing. You know, Dad, Dad can be kind of forceful sometimes in the way he says stuff. And he looked at me and he said, Eric, now I want you to know, I'll let you drive, but if you wreck the car, it's going to be the last time you get behind the wheel until you're like 30. You know, and, and I believed him. And so a month later, I was out, and we were watching a late movie. And actually, I remember exactly what movie it was. It was the Dragon, the Bruce Lee movie that was about the life of Bruce Lee that was at the Dollar Theater. And making that left turn out of the Dollar Theater, I remember all of a sudden seeing headlights, seeing the world spinning around, and thinking to myself, if this wasn't so scary, it might be fun. 
And then sitting there realizing I had just gotten a wreck, realizing that I had to go find a payphone and call dad because it was 1994. That's what you did, right? So, so I called my dad and it was the scariest call that I'd ever made in my life. Because you imagine calling your dad at 1230 at night when you're 16, 17 years old, doing the very thing that he told you not to do, which was wreck the car. You know, it was the, the longest 15, 20 minutes of my life as I saw dad pull up and get out of the car and look at me. And I just knew I was about to get it. And I would have done anything not to hear the words that I knew were going to come out. And it was, Eric, are you okay? You know, dad's a pretty tough guy, but he was completely disarmed when he saw the, the son that he loved and was worried about him. Now, later on, I did get an earful because he's still dad and that's his job. But, but in that moment, it's, it's amazing to think about how much the character changed from what I thought he was like into what he's really like. And, and I saw that glimpse of grace, and I saw that glimpse of peace, and I saw that, that glimpse of love that's stronger than frustration and anger, and, and knew that in my family I had a home. You know, I remember, uh, I remember being confirmed at Christus Victor, and I remember my first communion at Christus Victor. I remember being married at Christus Victor and being ordained there and looking out in the community and looking out on the congregation of people who could tell a lot of the same stories that Guy and Elizabeth could tell and realizing that in that community I had a home. You know, it wasn't a home that never argued. It wasn't a home that never had its problems. It wasn't its home that, a home that was always peaceful. But it was a home where there were people who always loved me and a home where... No matter what was happening in my life, I knew I could depend on them to accept me and embrace me and welcome me in. And it, it's important to have those places in our lives where we can, we can mess up and we can have our problems and we can know that we'll come and be accepted and be welcomed. Where people, no matter whether they're angry with us sometimes or not, because let's face it, every family has its squabbles. We know that no matter what, we have a home together. And as Jesus and Peter were sitting around a fire where Jesus was cooking fish and baking bread, it occurs to me how much of my family life occurs around the table and, and how much of my life occurs when, you know, we're, as, especially as a youth, where I was sitting around the table and dad or mom were telling me what it meant to be a member of the family. You know, and, and I think we've all had that experience. Maybe, maybe you didn't hear the words, your last name is Wolf, and it means something, but insert your own last name there. But, you know, you're, you're a wolf, and in this family, we, sometimes it's we don't act like that. Sometimes it's we do act like that. A lot of times it's we keep our elbows off the table, why can't you chew with your mouth closed? But we learn something valuable about what it means to be a part of a family. We learn something valuable about what it means to be a person who is claimed by people who love you and care about you and cherish you and worry about what's going to happen to you and want for you to be able to go out into the world and put your best foot forward, right? And it's not just in our home families where we gather around the table and we learn about our values. We gather around the table at church. Some of us once a month, some of us every other week, and some of us hold your breath once a week. And we remember what it is that God calls us to be and who God calls us to be 
and why it is that God calls us to be that way. As we hear those words in the night in which he was betrayed when Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it, he gave it for all to eat and said, take and eat, this is my body given for you. After supper, he took the cup and gave it for all to drink and said, this cup is the new covenant shed for you and for all people in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. Take and drink, do this for the remembrance of me. Because in God's family, in our family into which we're baptized, sacrifice is a deep family value. And we give ourselves for the people who we love to lift each other up. Sometimes this doesn't sound like it's such an important thing because we're all getting along. But there is no time in our life than when we've just said that thing that we were hoping not to say. And you were saying just this morning, you know, about how, uh, you know, I, I hope I don't have the opportunity to say exactly how I feel about that person. You know, and sometimes we do, and sometimes we've said it, and once we've said it, that cat's out of the bag. And we wonder, you know, will I ever be able to talk to them again? Will I ever be able to be their friend again? Will my wife ever speak to me again, or my husband? Or what, what happens when we feel like our relationship with our children is broken, or we don't just feel like it, but it is? You know, what, what are our values saying to us when we're in those moments of deep conflict, of deep turmoil, of deep personal grief and loss. We have words for that in this family too. We confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We sinned against God in thought, word, and deed by what we've done and by what we've left undone. We haven't loved our neighbors or ourselves. We haven't loved God with our whole heart. We ask for God's forgiveness and God's grace and God's mercy. And we hear some of the most important words that I hear in my life as a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ. And by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we hear one of the most important values of being part of the family of God. The value of forgiveness in the face of real, honest, true mistakes. Not just, oops, I spilled something. But, oops, I broke your heart. Oop, I broke my promise. Oops, I've, I've just said something nasty to somebody I care about. Oops, I did it accidentally, or oops, I did it on purpose. And we hear a truth that we need so desperately to hear that God sees our brokenness, God sees our woundedness, God sees our willfulness, God sees our sinfulness, and loves us, and calls us God's children and forgives us, and redeems us, and renews us, and restores us, and gives us new life, and new hope, and the reminder that we are still part of this family, and the opportunity to go and share that love, and share that forgiveness with people we have broken with our own brokenness. We, we're given new opportunities every day to live into a relationship where water is stronger than blood. And Peter was gathered with Jesus. Peter, who denied his own discipleship, who denied his identity, who denied the very things that were important to him. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you love me? Those are powerful words. Do you love me? And Jesus uses for the word love the strongest word that we have, agape, that unending, enduring, 
unbreakable, unshakable love that God has for creation, that God has for us, through which God sent Jesus to die and be resurrected as a sign and a seal of a new covenant that God is creating with us day by day through the waters of baptism and reminding us of through the meal of communion. Do you agape me? And Peter, being both the example, and this is why Peter is probably my, my disciple, because Peter is, of all the disciples, the most eager to please Jesus. And so Peter is the one who immediately jumps in the water. You know, Peter's the one who says, Lord, I'll never abandon you. Peter's the one who constantly through his eagerness is the first one to jump. He's the first one to convince or confess that Jesus is Lord. And Peter is also the one who proves time and time again that he doesn't quite get it. Because his reply is, I philos you. And remember, philos, like Philadelphia, is brotherly love. It's companionship. It's friendship. It's it's not that unbreakable, unshakable, undeniable love that God has for us. It's, yeah, Jesus, you're my bro. I love you. High five, you know. And Jesus says, well, well, feed my lambs. And says again, Peter, or Simon, son of John, do you agape me? You know, thinking maybe uh, if I say it again, maybe Peter will get it. And Peter says to Jesus, well, well, Yeah. I feel lost you. You're my bro. High five. And Jesus realizing, I guess, and I'm reading a lot into this, but realizing that Peter just isn't in the place where he can understand the kind of love that Jesus has for him, the kind of acceptance that Jesus has for him, the kind of forgiveness and the kind of welcome that Jesus is really giving Peter, the welcome that will not end, the forgiveness that will not end, the place in the community that is always there and never was lost, except that Peter might have been too afraid to claim it. Peter, do you feel lost me? And Peter got his feelings hurt because he was thinking that somehow Jesus wasn't the one who was understanding and said, you know everything. Of course I feel lost you. We're, we're buddies, we're pals, you're my brother. Well, tend my flock. This is a stark reminder to me of what my real identity is, both as the person who wears the funny collar, but also as a child of God. I am someone who hears every week, every day of my life, the welcome of the God who created the universe and is creating the universe and creating everything inside and outside of me, calling me by name, welcoming me into the family, calling me into his presence. And I answer as well as I'm able. But that answer is always going to fall short of the welcome and the love with, with which God welcomes and loves me. And the God who is creating me knows this and loves me anyway. This resurrection season, as we celebrate the, the story that was too good to keep to themselves of the one who was raised from the dead, we hear the good news that Christ is raised in our hearts and calling us to new life every day. We hear the good news that we are called to leave our tombs and leave our locked rooms where we're hiding in fear, to leave behind those nets where we're fishing naked and unprepared and put something on and, be, and answer the call 
to go out and share the love of the God who is calling out to the world with a, with a love that will not end, with a love that does not change, with a love that will not bend or break or give. A world that so often we're ready to give up for lost. God plants the cross and declares that to be his home turf and declares that where things are broken and dead, laying fallow and salted earth, that this is where new life begins. Because where I am, things can't help but be alive. And that is what we're called to take into the world. This story, this good news, that God is alive and loves what God is creating, no matter how much we try to hate it. How do we take that story into the streets? How do we take that story into our families? How do we take that story into our schools and workplaces? How do we take that story of a love that conquers everything within us, even our broken hearts, and creates new life where we've completely given everything up? That is the gospel of the resurrection. That is the gospel that God has planted in our hearts. That is the story that is too good to keep to ourselves. And the question for all of us is how do we tell that story with the story of our lives so that people can see us and see Jesus through us? Amen.